Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you are listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday, and enjoy the talk. Welcome, everyone, to Live Dharma Sunday for November 18th, 2018. Koyo Kubose here. So very, very glad you joined us. Well, <clears throat> in a few days, this coming Thursday, we're going to have the holiday of Thanksgiving. It's a tremendous holiday. And, uh, of course, we could talk about the history of it and so forth, but um, to give thanks. Mm. And when we have, you know, when I was active in the interfaith community in Chicago area, uh, they wanted to have an event, the group of uh, religious organizations in Chicago. Let's celebrate, you know, to show the unity among the different religions, what kind of event can we have, annual event? And a lot of um, interfaith organizations all over, a lot of them choose Thanksgiving. Um, in a way, it's a nice base or background in a secular way, and yet it touches upon something so uh, spiritual, togetherness, eh? and giving thanks. So we used to have, um, and they didn't, you know, it's kind of interesting when you do interfaith work, uh, uh, the host for, for this interfaith organization was NCCJ, which is the National Conference of Jews and Christians, and this what this this uh, or, national organization 
uh, goes way back and uh, way back when interfaith meant Christians and Jews and Catholics. That, that was interfaith. But uh, we started in, I think it was in 1983 with our first, you know, organizing meeting and so forth um, by NCCJ. And uh, they included everybody from uh, uh, A through Z, (laughs) you know, uh, Zoroastrians, Native Americans. uh, uh, I'm trying to think of all the different religions, Sikhs and um, Baha'i and, you know, uh, and it was great. We had this. And then they, what they did is they used a church that was right in downtown Chicago. Okay? And they held the service at noon. So that a lot of busy people in the, in the very crowded, populated uh, uh, downtown um, going for lunch. Huh? One hour service or half an hour. I don't remember how long it was. but And each religious uh, representative we we had a, we processed in we sang music we and everyone had 5 minutes to give a thanksgiving message a reading and and it was interesting how different topics or different aspects uh, were were handled over the years we started out calling it a Thanksgiving service, but then some people said, well, service, you know, means different things to the different religions. And then it's not really accurate to say this is a service. So they call it observation, a Thanksgiving observance and so forth. And a lot of interesting experiences uh, occurred when through this interfaith work. But more importantly, I was thinking about, you know, Thanksgiving is a time to pause and give some thoughtful reflection uh, how we give thanks. And uh, I, I, I was just thinking uh, a nice uh, sort of a springboard stem uh, phrase is uh, or sentence or question. <laughs> what do I take for granted? Hmm? That's a that's a question for Thanksgiving time. What do I take for granted? My family. Uh, uh, well, actually, as I thought about that, um, we take our hands for granted. I did use that as an exercise in uh, in our practicum, where I said, "Well, you know, for the participants." Think of all the ways that, how many ways do you use your hands during the day? If you, if you didn't have hands, if you didn't have a opposable thumb, okay, I'm holding the phone here, I'm writing with my pen, uh-huh. um, and then one of the participants uh, said uh, uh, he, he was a physician, so he, he he said there was a phrase that 
with humorous phrase about anatomy um, that the hand was uh, invented by a brilliant inventor, whereas the spine was cobbled together by a, by a committee. Uh, but yeah, if you didn't have an, not just your hand, but opposable thumb, ooh, huh? if you, you know, uh, but anyway, I was thinking about what do I take for granted? Okay. You could name a lot of uh, technological things, okay? All and all you have to do is start looking around yourself. Everybody, no matter where you are, you look around uh, with some thoughtful reflection. Hey, what about all? I'm surrounded by paper, you know. Uh, sitting in the office. Uh, paper comes from trees. I think all paper comes from trees. <laughs> you know, there's no other synthetic material. Okay, that's the basic substance that makes up paper. Is trees. Gee, uh, thank you, trees. <laughs> you know, uh, or how about all this pen? Hey, how about if you look at the history of pens, wow, it must be fascinating. You use the quill, then you use, you had fountain pens. Okay. I'm old enough to was a time when there was no ballpoint pens. Okay. And uh, how about Scotch tape? How about a stapler? How about scissors? Kleenex? Wow, I just. Uh, there's no end. There's no end. Glass. I'm looking at a bottle. Uh, there's a, I know there's been TV programs about, uh, you know, certain, um, items or whatever. And they, they talk about it, you know, where, who, how did, uh, glasses come about or lenses, with telescopes and things, okay? And informed historians, they could tell you, you know, and how they came about to document the history, the inventors, the whatnot, okay? Yeah, I'm looking at, a, looking at a lamp, and I'm looking at, of course, the famous <laughs> light bulb in Edison, and huh? and now you got the... the uh, not the incandescent bulbs are gone, you know. Things are marching on, eh? How about cloth? How about artistic expression in some banners or something? Hey, who wouldn't? <laughs> All these things. So we have to pause and say, hey, where do I... Try it, man. Try it yourself. What do I take for granted? And if you look around, as we're surrounded by all these things that we take for granted. Interesting, uh, thoughtful reflection exercise. Well, okay, I want to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse. And it's Alex Cacquio. He was part of our LM10 group, and he lives in Ohio. So he's here live with us, Alex Cacquio. Hello, thank you, Sensei. 
and uh, thanks so much for allowing me to come on the program today. It's a real honor. I appreciate it. Um, my Dharma glimpse today, the title will be Self-Reliance and the Bodhisattva Path. When I was a young Marine, the call came down that they needed volunteers to go to Bridgeport, California for mountain warfare training. Uh, I was highly motivated and not very bright, so I jumped at the chance to go. And I'd done the uh, summer package the year before with my unit, but this was going to be different. Um, this mountain for warfare training would be done in the winter, which meant that we'd be going, doing all the same things I'd done previously, hiking, camping, survival training, etc. but I'd be doing it in four to six feet of snow. The base camp was located at Pickle Meadows, in the Sierra Mountains, and the elevation starting was around 7,000 feet. The first week was a blur of classes on everything from first aid to the intricacies of establishing radio communications in the mountains. We also learned how to pack a sled, how to walk in snowshoes, and how to cross-country ski. The second week, however, was when things got interesting. It's when we hiked to one of the training areas to put all of our newfound knowledge to the test. There was only one problem. The training area was a 12-mile hike up a mountain with an ending elevation of 11,000 feet above sea level. On the day of the hike, each Marine was tasked with carrying his rifle and a 50-pound pack as part of his combat load. Snow fell from the sky in flakes the size of quarters. It melted when it fell on our gear and refroze as ice, making our packs even heavier as we moved along the trail. The trip up the mountain was long, cold, and miserable. But I saw something along the way that inspires me to this day. Occasionally, a Marine would struggle to keep up with the pace and start falling behind. When this happened, a member of his fire team would perform a buddy drag to get him back in formation. What this entailed is the stronger Marine would stand in front of the guy who was struggling and jog in place. The Marine who was having a hard time would take a moment to catch his breath grab the pack of the Marine in front of him, and then yell, go, at the top of his lungs. At this point, the stronger Marine would run to the front of the formation, dragging the other Marine behind him. Once they made it to the front, he'd deposit the weaker guy uh, there, where everyone could keep an eye on him, and ensure that he didn't fall behind again. Now, Marines pride themselves on never leaving a fallen comrade behind, and it was terrific to see this ethos in action. However, as I look back at that hike through a Buddhist lens, I realize that there's also a much bigger lesson involving the Bodhisattva path. In Mahayana Buddhism, a Bodhisattva is an enlightened being who has sworn that they won't enter into nirvana until all sentient beings can come with them. They devote themselves to ending suffering and helping their fellow travelers on the road to awakening. In fact, the first Bodhisattva vow states, sentient beings are numberless. I vow to save them all. Now, that's a noble sentiment, but this vow is a bit overwhelming on the surface. How can one person possibly save all sentient beings? But it becomes a lot more reasonable in the context of what I saw during the hike. For example... The Marines that were doing the buddy drags were all in fantastic physical condition. They'd spent thousands of hours running on roadsides and lifting weights in the gym. As a result, they were strong enough to carry their own packs and help others at the same time. 
This suggests that the key to bodhisattva action is to have a strong personal practice. The world can be a hurtful place, and each of us has our own pack of suffering that we carry each day. However, a daily practice of meditation and suture study helps us carry that suffering more effectively and eventually let some of it go. Further along the path, we can also help others do the same. Practice gives us the strength to help others who are in pain. Remaining calm when everyone is panicking and showing kindness when everyone else is vengeful are powerful methods for creating equanimity in the world. But we can only do those things if we prepare ahead of time by being diligent in our training. Another thing that jumps out at me is the method the Marines used for helping each other up the mountain. They didn't try and save everyone all at once. Rather, they saw one person who was in need, and they pulled that person to the front of the formation. Then they went back and they dragged another. They did this until they reached the end of their endurance, and they fell back into formation, allowing other Marines to take up the task. That was a smart move as working themselves to exhaustion would made them a danger to the rest of the unit. The Bodhisattva vow to save all sentient beings can seem overwhelming because people often assume they have to save everyone and everything all at once. But this isn't the case. Rather, we only need to save who we can. This can be as simple as making healthy decisions in our personal life, like getting enough rest or meditating daily. That may seem small, but practicing self-care puts us in a position that we can benefit others. Once that's done, we can look around and see who needs a little bit of help that we can provide. A smile or a kind word can do wonders in helping people carry their pack of suffering. And it's something we can provide to everyone we meet. Finally, you must have a great faith in order to walk the Bodhisattva path. Specifically, we must have faith that when we reach the end of our own endurance, other practitioners will step up and continue the help. This is important because if we allow ourselves to burn out, then we're of no use to anyone, including ourselves. But we, we have faith in our fellow humans and trust that they'll pull the load when we can't, a rhythm will develop. We'll perform the Bodhisattva action when they're retired, and then they'll do the same for us. In this way, we ensure that everyone makes up the mountain and no one gets left behind. And that's it for me today. May all sentient beings be safe from suffering. Thank you very much. Very interesting, isn't it? Huh? You know, yeah. uh, Bodhisattva vow and how uh, it goes both ways, I think. I think, you know, in order to fulfill a bodhisattva helping others, you have to have your own strong personal practice as was mentioned. Okay? And uh, if you want to have a strong personal practice, you're helped uh, by all kinds of bodhisattvas, by other people, okay? directly or indirectly. And uh, that kind of uh, hmm, broadness, I guess, perspective uh, or an attitude. Attitude 
I think is a tremendous word. <laughs> now, Bodhisattva vows, you know, uh, dharmas, the dharma gates are infinite. I vow to enter them all. Sentient <laughs> beings are in, you know, innumerable. I vow to save them all. But th- this is not, you know, that that's. <laughs> Interesting thing. How can you be making a vow to do something that's impossible? Okay, these vows are not uh, not a goal, but it reflects an attitude. Yeah. I think uh, to have the proper attitude is crucial. Huh? Um, Sometimes I think when in our lay program we have an uh, initial orientation session that all these new students, they're all ready to hit the ground running, that they're ready to to engage in the program. Uh, But I always have the feeling that the orientation is the most important class of them all. Before you get to the content, before you get to uh, orientation means, well, how should I consider this whole program that I'm about to enter? What kind of attitude should I have about it? You could have all kinds of attitude from very selfish concerns or uh, too much pressure on oneself or, you know, uh, not serious enough or too serious and so forth. Uh, Or I like the phrase, I I don't know where I read this, but it was in a Buddhist context. How can you go, teacher says, how can you go south when your cart is facing north? Um, we should ask us ourselves this once in a while. Huh? Uh, which direction am I facing? You know, what is my path? What am you know? And I always felt that to have meaning in life. How is one going to be oriented toward this business of being alive and how you want to live your life? Um, if you find that way, you could call it a way, a path, okay, a direction. Okay, I didn't say goal. I said direction. That's the key thing. Huh? This is what a Bodhisattva vow does for us. A direction, an attitude. And then we're golden. If you, you know, are helped to find your spiritual direction, your spiritual journey, your path, okay, then that's it, okay? Uh, They say that a teacher is important at two times in the uh, in helping others along the spiritual path. One is to put them on the path right at the beginning. Hmm? 
then their whole life they could, you know, along their journeying. Okay, and then sometimes they might get uh, not stuck exactly, but they need a little bit of a push after that uh, to go that little bit further. Okay, it's sort of like uh, here's your path. Maybe this is a bad uh, illustration, but you, you get on this path and you go and then say, oh, yeah, I, I got this. I found this path, okay, up in the mo- up to the, this mountain, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And now there's a long, many, many years, okay, you're fulfilled. You, you know your direction. You, someone helped you, okay. And then you get to the, top of the mountain okay, and uh, you need a little bit more push and this is where the second time okay, first time where you, the teacher is crucial is to get someone on the path and once they're on the path, boom and then all these years of traveling and so forth and then sometimes there's a second time when the teacher needs to push that student off the top of the cliff <laughs> So, you know, you come to a cliff sort of way up high, and then, you know, you're sort of stuck there, okay? You've got to go a little bit more, okay? And it's very difficult because, you know, humanness, ego, or or, uh, inertia, or, you know, difficult. And so this is the second crucial time when a teacher could be helpful is say, it's okay, Okay. Sort of like a bird, maybe. Never flew before. Okay. Always walking around. Said, hey, you could do it. Okay. And But it's pretty hard to jump off yourself off the cliff. Okay. Trust your wings. Come and push you. Okay. Uh, they could see that you're right there for that. Um, and both of these things, I think, have to do with attitude. You know. Uh, and direction, okay? It doesn't say where you're going to fly to or things like that, okay? Now, those are important things too, okay? But those personal kinds of uh, details of an individual's path and so forth, okay, that's their life. I mean, that's that's going to be, you know, happening, okay? But in the context of uh, spiritual journeying, and uh, uh, this aspect of the relationship between self and other, uh, uh, no, there's a saying, no man's an island. Okay. How does that play out okay. in the Marines, in a particular kind of training, or in whatever kind of activity you can be talking about? You could put it into that kind of a theme where, you know, um, and it behooves us to see these wider divs, okay? Uh, it enhances both aspects, the specifics of that activity, and then put it in a spiritual context, okay? Which means you know what, what direction, what kind of attitude you have to relate things together, to see, to see the broader picture, okay, and so forth. 
Well, well, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a beautiful day. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.